Hey, all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. back nature nerds this is megan and jen jen is across from me as always we're going to be telling you stories of nature versus man some cautionary tales cold ones this week oh cold ones. so cold everybody's getting ready for winter i hear in other parts of the world it is (laughs) uh fall this thing where leaves change colors and it starts getting cold right yeah we just don't have that yeah no i mean we could turn the air con low (laughs) <laughs> here it's just hot either it's, it's sunny hot. and hot or it's rainy and hot it's That's, rainy and hot right now it's rainy and hot and it's like sleepy time hot this is a carryover from our august patreon episode our bonus mm-hmm. episode yes which we talked about the antarctic and we're gonna just continue on with some more stories i'm really stoked it's not a second part it's just a, another story that was happening at the same time yeah if you want to catch that first story mm, become a patreon and officialize your nature nerdiness your nature nerd status (laughs) (laughs) i like that nature nerdiness so megan do we have any oh there was one thing that one of our listeners mentioned Mm -hmm. from i think in your raccoon episode we talked about you mentioned a calico and i was like yeah they're all female i mean that was generalizing but somebody pointed out they're not a hundred percent all always females Mm -hmm. just like in most cases orange tabbies or orange cats are males Typically, right, Typically. Right, right. So a lot of times calicos and tortoiseshells are females, but there is, it's like one in 3,000 are male. So you have your rando male. Mm-hmm. So just, just throwing that out there. And I was like, you are correct. Thank you. So I put out a little questionnaire on our Instagram asking about if people were ready for Halloween. Oh, yeah. Because Halloween is... It's just right around the corner. And the best holiday, honestly. Yes. Uh, One of our listeners, Mel, said she was building a shoot to send candy down because social distancing. And I was like, that's freaking, I love it. Yeah, genius. Genius. I totally want to do that now. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, how am I, How could I do that at my house? That would be made Because I don't have two stories. No, but... And I don't think I'm allowed to go up on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> You're just on the roof. Right? Like, that would just be a bad, bad news right there. But yeah, I'm like, oh, how, how can I make this happen? Maybe like a zigzag type deal? You could hoist, like race car track? hoist it up and then it would like, you tip it a little so some candy falls down. I don't mm. know. She's going to send us some photos when it's all ready and I can't even wait. Yeah. I'm so stoked on it. Other than that, I don't have anything else. Megan, do you have some science news for us today? I do have some science news I'm for so us excited. today. I'm kind of stoked on it. I mean, okay, so let's see. It, August 19th, there was a paper put out in Scientific Reports. It is called Field Measurements of a Massive Porites Coral at Ghoul Bodhi, Orpheus Island, Great Barrier Reef. I think I saw, oh, I saw a picture. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. I, I don't know. I just thought it would be nice to do a little like like positive science news yeah they're all mostly depressing most of the time when we talk especially the great great barrier reef when Mm -hmm. we talk about climate change and coral bleaching and just like jesus all the bad things Mm -hmm. there's this giant coral it's the size of a carousel and it's the widest known coral in the great barrier reef and they found it in like i said the ghoul i hope i'm saying this right ghoul bodhi uh so all our australian listeners can tell me if that's correct g-o-o-l-b-o-o-d-i it's northeast australia and they're like nice 
try. <laughs> nice. nice try. A fail. It measures 10.4 meters in diameter. Wow. Which is like, that's pretty large. That's huge. And, it, and the nickname is Muga Dambi, D-H-A-M-B-I. Can they think of a, like a... It just means big coral. That's I, I mean, I know they're going for they're going for some indigenous yeah naming, which is cool, but the, it's not a not an easy nickname, right? It's uh, the Manbara people. Okay, came up with that name. That's yeah. pretty cool. It also stands a little over five meters tall. It makes it the sixth sixth tallest coral in the Great Barrier Reef. Wow, so cool! And so there's this scientist Nathan Cook. He works for Reef ecologic it's a climate and environmental consulting firm in townsville australia and he said it's a standalone coral and we don't see many that size so kind of cool it's actually uh they estimate between 421 to 438 years old so it predates european colonization in australia wow and just think about at that time it was just like a little bitty coral right just chilling out and then it's made it through at least 80 cyclones and 99 coral bleaching events so very resilient they're studying this, knowing, learning more about this coral is going to help figure out how we can help coral make it through climate change events. And I really like what he says after this. It'll help provide a renewed sense of hope for the future. Nice. So I thought that was nice. A little uplifting science news for this week. That is uplifting, considering that my story is... Not uplifting? No, not really. Sweet. So... Is it a survival story? Buckle in for some sadness. (laughs) No, it's... No, no, not not everyone dies. Oh, well, perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. But it is... is, It's another... So it's like I said, it's a continuation from our Patreon bonus, which is an old-timey survival story. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is around the same time, almost the exact time as the other one. Oh. So, but different different crew. And that one that you told us, not everybody survived. Correct. In that one. Yep. It not everybody survived awful. in that one. Yeah. And this one is slightly worse, and it's but it really ties into the other one because they all knew each other. Mm. There were different people racing to the South Pole. Okay. Norway, Australia, Great Britain, they were all trying to get there first. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the crews... So the one I talked about in the in the Patreon bonus was Douglas Mawson, mm-hmm. and he was one of the explorers that was going there. And this is another one. So because I learned about this one from that, and then I saw some science news that directly correlated with this. That's cool. And I was like, what? So it's just meant to be. Are you ready, Megan? I am Are you ready. ready. Everyone, let's do this. Let's get cold. I'm buckled in. Okay. Just be happy. You're warm and where you are. Mm-hmm. Maybe you had a really crappy day. It's true. But just listen to the story and know it could be much worse. Okay? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to talk about what was written in a book published in 1922 called The Worst Journey in the World by Aspley Cherry Garrard. Jesus. Yeah. All right. Setting the tone. Setting the tone. Worst journey in the world. <laughs> I feel like I've written like short stories or essays, and it's mm-hmm. usually like anyone with a toddler who's had to travel. Yeah. <laughs> Similar. Worst journey in the world. My flight from Guam to the U.S. It just when my toddler poop. had a poop explosion on the plane. <laughs> you're like, you're like, hold hold my beer. <laughs> 
Yeah. Antarctic so. exploration, please. <laughs> please. So anyway, <laughs> this is a firsthand account of Robert Falcon Scotts, who was a captain uh, and another explorer. It was his Antarctic expedition. And this guy, Aspley Cherry Garrard, and I'll talk about him. He was on that trip. Cool. Um, so like I said, I heard about, I read about this when I was researching for the Douglas Mawson story. Mm-hmm. So in that episode, I talked a little bit and we all know, I mean, most people know because of the movie, we know about Ernest Shackleton who was another right. explorer and he had a couple of trips the one that was successful mm-hmm. i guess i mean his other one he got out of too but it was the 1907 nimrod voyage that at that time had established a new record for the farthest south to the south pole hmm. so like i said everybody's racing to get to the south pole they want to be the guy to put the flag in i was gonna say you gotta get that gotta get that flag gotta get the damn flag in there Jesus. right So if only you had a drone to just drop a flag. You would be done. But that drone would freeze and die. I'm telling you, like, nothing (laughs) could work. Nothing can survive out there unless you're a penguin. Penguin. That's a little foreshadowing right there. Oh. oh. This guy that I mentioned earlier, Robert Scott. Falcon. Yes. Falcon. What a cool name. Robert Falcon Scott. I'm going to rename my kid. Seriously. It's happening. It's happening. Go go down to the court. Get it done. (laughs) I don't know. You're meant to be an explorer or else you're meant to be like some sort of like... Rock and roll star. What do we call the bird handlers again? The raptorists. <laughs> Falconeers. He's, he's meant to be a raptorist. Yes, he's a raptorist. <laughs> so he was friends with Ernest Shackleton. They all kind of knew each other. Shackleton had also taken that guy Douglas Mawson with him on the Nimrod in right. 1907. Okay. And then after that, that's when Mawson was trying to set up his other trip but Mm -hmm. he wanted it to be his own because he wanted to do his own thing he wanted to get to the furthest southern magnetic pole so he didn't want to go with Shackleton well he started out trying to talk to different people Mm -hmm. and so he talked to Captain Scott and he talked to Captain Shackleton but it didn't work out with either of them and Mawson did his own thing and that's in the Patreon episode and you can listen to that Roger that (laughs) (laughs) like I said he went on to have his own Antarctica story but this one is really more nuts than that one. I'm telling you, it is crazy. So the people you need to know for this trip are as follows. Robert Falcon Scott, born in 1868. He was a Royal Navy officer and explorer. He led two expeditions to the Antarctic regions, the Discovery Expedition of 1901 to 1904. And then this one I'm going to talk about, which is the Terra Nova Expedition, which was from 1910 to 1913. Terra Nova? Terra Nova. It's like, he's the lead singer and that's his band Uh, yeah i feel like yeah i can already see the mullet oh my god a super fluffy i mean i'm I'm looking at like rock band style rock band (laughs) i sound like an old person that's a rock band (laughs) and he was caught up like all these guys in this like they call it the heroic age of antarctic exploration and it was like between 1897 and 1922 and there were 17 major expeditions to discover antarctica launched by 10 different countries so in 1904 he this captain scott returned from that discovery expedition and was really trying to raise funds for this next, this Terra Nova. Mm -hmm. And he actually got funds from like different clothing stores or different kind of foods and everything. It's so he was raising his own funds for this trip. So it was privately funded. He's like Patagonia. Exactly. Can you guys uh, fund my He looked for sponsors. In his proposals for his expedition, he said his main objective was 
to reach the South Pole and to secure for the British Empire the honor of this achievement. Mm. But he also put an emphasis on scientific research and he brought along some scientists, a lot of scientists in geology, uh, meteorology, biology, and the unknown field of glaciology. Oh. So one of those scientists was this cool guy, Edward Adrian Wilson. Adrian. Adrian. He was born in 1872, and he was an English polar explorer, ornithologist, natural historian, physician, and artist. I feel like back then, a lot of biologists were artists because they drew their specimens. Yeah. That's where I would just be kicked out of the field. When I'm like stick birds, (laughs) just like little stick feet. You're like, it had a beak. It looked like this. They're like, that's just a triangle. It was a bird (laughs) telling you. I'm like, now we have these things called cameras. We just take a picture. (laughs) Anyway, well, I mean, they had cameras back then, but it was really hard to... So I guess... It takes like an hour to set up. And they weren't good. They wasn't clear mm. and all that stuff. Before, on the first uh, Scott expedition, he was his main like right-hand man. He was his the chief scientist on that one. And he was going to be the chief scientist on this one again. He was also, like I said, a physician. He was a qualified medical doctor. So that's helpful. That is helpful. To have on the ship. Mm-hmm. For when you get scurvy. Exactly. <laughs> and he had actually, in 1898, had been diagnosed with tuberculosis oh but somehow he he like pulled through or i don't know if he's still like do people when they get tuberculosis do they kind of like always have it i don't know if they don't die from it do you get like better yeah is it like hep c where you just have it forevers yeah i wonder good question someone should answer that for us (laughs) can somebody answer that please because i didn't look it up so he everybody liked to call him uncle bill oh so we went by bill so i'm like edward adrian wilson where'd you get bill or bill whatever (laughs) It's all good. It's Bill's his, an awesome uh, pseudonym. Name. Yeah, I guess. He was really well respected. Everybody loved him. He was a cool guy. And also probably Captain Scott's like best friend. He was his bestie. BFFs. Mm-hmm. The other person we're going to talk about, and then we'll get to Aspley, which is also, Where I'm telling you, names? the best names ever. So this other guy, his name was Henry Robertson Bowers, but he went by mm. Birdie because he had a big pointy nose. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but apparently so he was a scottish guy he was funny everybody loved him he was really short he was like five four. Oh, i'm like that's not short but for a guy <laughs> um he had no previous experience going to the polar regions of the world but he was really good on a ship well he's scottish he's scottish i mean come on they're hardy people who wouldn't want the scottish guy he was red-haired come on it's perfect that's my people right there. That's I'm just saying. Did he really have red hair? That's he amazing. had red hair. I love it. They say he would always like sing and like he was always like in a good mood and like made everybody laugh. And he was really good at navigation. He was also great at photography and he kept really good notes for a lot of the like meteorologists and some of the scientists like he was good at that. He was like mm-hmm. a really good person to have with you on these things that's cool and then finally um is the guy who wrote the book the worst journey in the world <laughs> Astley cherry garrard he was born and i'm going to talk a lot about him because he's kind of like the main focal person here i mean they're all important yeah but, yeah uh, uh, he's kind of the guy these names are really fun Jen. they're like, awesome what is happening <laughs> we need to go back to these names cherry Aspley Cherry? That Well, that was his last name. Oh. So he was born in Bedford, England in 1886 mm-hmm. as Aspley George Benet Cherry. I think it's Benet. could be Bennett, but it's B-E-N-E-T. That's crazy. Yeah. So he went to Winchester College and Oxford where he read classics and modern history. Wow. He's and really- he rode... 
Hoity-toity. Yeah, he was, I guess, your your rich guy. Is he funding part of this trip? He does. Actually, so his surname was changed to Cherry Garrard because he was in his one of his great aunt's will oh. that his name be changed. It doesn't say why. There must have been some stipulation to her will. It's like, if you want this money, you're going to take this name. It must be a family name that they're yeah. like, we want to carry it down. So through this, the will, his father inherited, they, it's the Lemaire Park Estate near Weath Hampstead. Hertfordshire. I'm like Hertfordshire. 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 Wait. Hertfordshire. No, no, no. They say it in. Uh, they say it in. Uh, Pride and Prejudice. No. Hertfordshire. 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 It looks like Shire. Yeah, yeah. But like the way you say it is like Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Wow, this is going really well. This is going great so far. And these are also my people. Like I'm 50% English, 50%. That's a lot. Just like your Italian. Italiano. But anyway, so yeah, it's all like Downton Abbey, like rich. I, when I was like listening to this, I'm picturing like that's the <laughs> life they had. So <laughs> he and he inherited this big mis- mistake. <laughs> oh. Yeah, oh man! <laughs> oh man! Foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, so he inherited the estate um, after his father died in 1907. So he was like a rich dude. He was young. I think in 1907. So wait, he would have been 21 years old when his dad passed, and he inherited everything, which is crazy. His father had been in, gone through some wars. He had been in India and China, and he fought with the British Army and he wanted to live up to his dad's like stature, his dad's example. In 1907, after his dad passed, he was at one of his cousin's house, this guy Reginald. <laughs> Reginald. <laughs> he was at Reginald's house in this place. I don't even want to try and say it. It's like Cortici. C-O-R-T-A-C-H. Anyway, he was at his cousin's mansion. He was there just like hanging out. They're probably drinking tea and playing polo. I don't know what rich people do. Brandy. Back Brandy and cigars? In 1907? Yeah, yeah. I just imagine it's just talking about cool. Talking about electricity coming into their estates? Yeah, yeah. Just reading the paper. Having their, I mean, their whole like staff working mm-hmm. like downtown Abbey. Ringing the bell for tea. Yes. Ring the bell for tea, kitty. Totally. That's <laughs> what they were doing. Yeah. Anyway, so he's hanging out being rich with his cousin. And so then there's Bill, Edward. Remember? Right, Ed, right. Dr. Edward Wilson. So he is the heir because they're all rich, I guess. And so then here comes Captain Scott coming over. He's like, I'm putting together this expedition. You're my chief scientist. Let's raise some funds. And they were probably there to like, you know, hobnob with rich people. And so they were there talking about the trip. And Aspley's like, what, what? He's like, look, I'll volunteer. This sounds awesome. I want to go to the Antarctic. I want to be a polar explorer. You guys are so cool, right? Yeah. And Scott was like, yeah, no. Yeah. (laughs) This 21-year-old rich kid, I ain't got time for that. Like, you're going to, you won't even make the the trip over. Like, I'm not doing it. And he was looking. (laughs) He's like, you're going to die on the ship. He's like, I'm sorry. We don't have, like, buckets of expensive brandy. I don't know. What do they? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Whatever they drank back then. But he was like, yeah, no, you're not going. He was, he wanted scientists and he was looking for people who would actually contribute Mm -hmm. to the expedition because he's funding he's like looking for funding right and so Aspley was like well what if I donate a thousand pounds which is equivalent to almost a hundred thousand pounds today oh dang he's like what if I just donate that would that let me go and Scott's like no sorry kid you're out but then Aspley was like take it anyway oh I'll donate it to the cause and Captain Scott was like that's 
kind of cool. Like he Generous. saw a lot of character in that, mm-hmm. in the gesture. By talking to Bill, Dr. Bill, mm-hmm. he was like, they're like, let's just do it. Let's take him along. He seems like a nice kid. And he gave us you a buttload of money. So what do you got to lose? What do you have to lose? <laughs> <laughs> so he was 24 at the time when they went on the expedition, which actually left in 1910. So he was the mm-hmm. one of the youngest members of the expedition. And I guess he also had, he was super nearsighted. Aww. So he had glasses. He had terrible eyesight. He had to wear glasses. And it's weird because of all the photos that I have, which there's a lot of photos. Mm-hmm. A lot of photos, mate. I don't know how, I don't know <laughs> what you're going to do. But there's no pictures of him wearing glasses. Oh. I think he was like, I feel that. When I started wearing glasses, I was like, every time somebody took a picture, I'm like, wait, let me take off my glasses. This is what I want my face to look like. Mm -hmm. Maybe he just was like, no, I'm young and I don't want to wear glasses in my photos. Mm. But photos were a big deal back then, you know, so he's probably like, nope. But you see a lot of people wearing spectacles in their photos. It's true. Anyway, so on June 15th, 1910, which is like wintertime there. All right, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. In Australia and down under. (laughs) (laughs) there in a while. On June 15th, 1910, the crew left from Cardiff on the Terra Nova. They called it the Terra Nova Expedition, but officially it was called the British Antarctic Expedition. They made stops in Madeira, Madeira, South Trinidad, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and then it got trapped in an ice pack for three weeks and they almost like didn't make it. Almost like wrecked the boat. Fun. That's a little foreshadowing for them. A little bad luck. So they arrived at Cape Evans, which is in the McMurdo Sound, which is in uh, Antarctic. It's like where you first arrive. They reached Antarctic land Mm -hmm. at one of the ports, which I think there were several. Because remember, there's all these different countries trying to get there. And they each kind of made base camps at different spots along there. And I mean, nobody knows anything, right? Wherever people are kind of strategically placing themselves because they're all racing to get to the South Pole. Mm. So they got there in early January of 1911. They built their base camp hut. Three weeks later, they started working on setting up these supply depots in preparation for these journeys to the South Pole. So that's when they like, okay, we're going to go out 15 miles and set up, like put supplies and whatever you might need. So as people go out and are coming back, they have supplies along the way if like they ran out of supplies. Right, right, right. It's like life-saving measures. That's smart. I just wonder like how treacherous are the runs to like make these depots and back. I mean, considering that to go to the South Pole, I think they went like 300 miles. Oh. So going like 10, 15 miles out is sucks, but it's not like... Super bad. No, not like right, the right. journey that they were doing. So they were going to start heading out for the South Pole in the what they call the Austral Spring, mm-hmm. which was going to be um, a few months out. And at this point, there was like bad weather and they had brought some ponies along. Um, that for some reason that really makes me sad yeah because i feel like ponies can't they they're not like furry enough no i know the ponies weren't doing so great they laid this one called it's called one ton depot it was 35 miles further north so they were trying to go south right right but it was 35 miles further north than its planned location and this is something that later was a real problem so during that winter bill uncle bill wilson dr bill 
Edward. Edward, Bill Wilson, his <laughs> many names. We'll just call him Dr. Bill. Dr. But they called him Uncle Bill. We Dr. Uncle Edward Bill. Falconry. Got oh, wait, no, that's no, he's the not the guy. Falcon guy. <laughs> so he was starting to prepare for his own expedition. Oh. oh. He's like, I know we're going to go to the South Pole. That's all gravy, but I have another plan. He's like, he's going to do a little side, yeah, little side deal? a side trip. Because oh. listen to this. The last time he went on the first, that Discovery expedition with mm-hmm. Captain Scott, he went out and he saw emperor penguins oh and he saw them um when they were at their colony Mm -hmm. their breeding colony and he was like what is this like crazy form of primitive bird oh because yeah they haven't seen penguins. they have never seen penguins so he was like next time i go and this is why he really wanted to go on this trip well he also wanted to just get to the south pole with his buddy but he wanted to go collect eggs because at the time since they thought penguins were some sort of evolutionary primitive bird Mm -hmm. he thought that if he got these eggs and examined the embryos of emperor penguins it would prove this relationship between birds and reptiles or more so it would prove the missing evolutionary link between dinosaurs and birds. Oh. Little okay. did he know he could just study some chickens. Right. Some There's chickens. tiny T-Rexes all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. The problem was the only known emperor penguin rookery at that time in the world was at this Cape Crozier. Oh. C-R-O-Z-I-E-R. It was about 70 miles from their base camp at Cape Evans. The eggs would be laid in June, which was winter there. Right, the Austral right. winter. Because we've all watched March of the Penguins. Have I seen that? Megan. I think I Megan. saw it. <sighs> it's the one that's it's uh, narrated by Morgan Freeman. Right, 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 right. It's amazing. It basically goes through the whole march of is it, their is breeding. Is it mostly about a father and one egg? It is, I think. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't watched it in a long time, but I saw it a long time ago, and I made my kids watch it after I know, this, but I was working when yeah. they watched it, so I didn't see it. I want to say I saw it at the theater when it came out. Dang, like I an know. IMAX? That sounds like Maybe. a movie you would watch at the you IMAX. Would. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I watched it at IMAX, but I know I saw it at the theater and was awesome. Did you cry? Oh, God. Anytime there's animals. I'm sure I've seen it. March of the Penguins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. My youngest, I'm... my five-year-old was like, this is kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> but my 10-year-old was into it. So. I definitely am confusing it with Happy Feet. <laughs> the animated. It's the very animated. different. Uh, just the storyline of like, a, yeah. like an egg rolls off someplace. And, yeah. And then anyway. he can't sing. He can only he, dance. He never fully gets his like coat, which I thought was weird. Is that a thing that can even happen? This is like I don't a know. weird side story. I don't know. I didn't go down that road. Yeah, I'm interested to know. So the eggs are late in June, and that's in the winter. Because as you, uh, you know, I'll talk about it a little more, but the males like huddle together mm-hmm. for like over two months with the eggs in the middle of winter. Like walking it's just circle. crazy. It's yeah. like the worst thing ever. No one had ever attempted to do this because no one wants to travel out in the winter in the Antar- in the Antarctic. That's just insane. Uh, when I was in Hawaii, I would barely travel when it was like <laughs> 70 degrees outside. I would be like... Yeah, this is the opposite of anything you would ever do. Like you would never be a polar ever. explorer. Never. 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 It's okay. Understood. Not for everybody. <laughs> so nobody had ever tried to do this, but Uncle Bill, Uncle Captain, Daddy Bill was like, please, we need. I need this. Like, I need these eggs. I need to take these back and take them to the Natural History Museum and we got to figure this out. I like it. He's motivated. He's, he's, he's actually just awesome. Like, the more you read about him, he's just like the coolest. 
Did he tell them before they got there that he wanted to do the side trip? Or did he wait till they got there and he was like, hey, guys, so listen. Hey, by the way, <laughs> I think they knew. Okay. But I also think that when they got there, they're like, are you sure? Maybe he was talking about it. He's like, listen, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, OK, OK. And they get there and he's like, no, really. And they're like, wait, we thought you were kidding. We thought you changed your we mind. We didn't know it would be this cold. And then we got here and it's really cold. Anyway, so Captain Scott was like, all right, that's fine. We're going to be here staying warm in our hut. But if you guys mm-hmm. want to do that, grab, you know, if you want to go, get some guys that are willing to go with you and go get those damn eggs and come back. 70 miles, I mean, it's far, but it's not crazy. It's not right. like what they were going to attempt to do to get to the South Pole. It's like a good test trip. Yeah, but they're also not doing it in the winter they were going to do so this was winter time to right, get the right. eggs and in the springtime they were going to do the, the other pole. right that, that's smart so despite aspley's bad eyesight he really wanted to go he was mm-hmm. like this sounds awesome can i go i think he liked bill mm-hmm. everybody liked bill yeah. you know and i mean i'm sure they all got along they said that aspley was a really cool guy he was young and so he chose uncle bill was like okay aspley you're going and birdie birdie bowers the scott he's going <laughs> So the three of them were like, okay, let's do this. So on June 27th, 1911, it's completely dark. So remember, it's the South Pole. It's either light all day or it's dark all day. Right. My brother moved to Portland, right? And he was like, what <laughs> is happening? It's yeah. awful. And I was like, you need to buy one of those light bath things. You know, uh-huh. you can like buy like a light pod. Oh, yeah. And you sit inside it and it just has like Well, light. we moved to Seattle when I was 15. Yeah, yeah. And I you just like up. slept 22. I was like a cat. I slept like 22 hours of the day. I think I would make the physical transition to get. Yeah. If I moved. <laughs> Pretty much. To Pacific Northwest. <laughs> so the hard part for Aspley was that he couldn't wear his glasses, obviously, because they were just going to like freeze to his face. Oh, yeah. So he couldn't see that well. Because it was winter, it was completely dark. The temperatures were, listen to this, negative 40 to negative 77. Negative 77. Thank you. And I'm like, I don't even know how you... I mean, there's. it would be hard to find gear now that would get you through this. But back then, in yeah. 1911, it's just, just... Everything is wet. It's ugh. just like wool seeping through. Later, we'll find out that the Norwegians were mm. using animal furs. Smart. And it worked way better. Well, because there's probably like a layer of the skin or something. Yeah. Like kind of It protecting. didn't hold moisture in like what these guys were using. Mm-hmm. These guys, their clothes would get wet and then it would hold the moisture. It was really bad. So they did their... I talk about this in the other episode for the Patreon, but they manhauled, which means that they oh, right, pulled yeah. their own sledges, not having dogs or uh, something else pull them. They did have dogs at the base camp, mm-hmm. but they didn't take them for this. And I also talk a lot about the husky dogs that were used for a lot of these explorations. Mm-hmm. But just know that the dogs have been memorialized mm-hmm. on these islands it's yeah. a pretty cool story check it out they manhauled these two sledges 60 miles from the base camp at cape evans mm-hmm. to the far side of ross island so ross island is where they need to go to get to that cape cozier cozier mm-hmm. and there's a map of this so there they had a problem because of the surface of the ice and they had these like crazy low temperatures because it's the middle of winter for some reason they couldn't drag both the sledges so what they had to do was they would like pull one and then return for the other one and like pull it and it was really inefficient so like when they were walking one mile it was actually like three miles because they were having to go back and forth 
And the sweat like froze inside their clothes. They said it was like an armor plating because it would just freeze against their skin. And they shook snow and ice from the inside of their pants every time they changed their footwear. They suffered frostbite almost every day and had blisters on their fingers and their feet. And the fluid inside the blisters would freeze. (sighs) And they only could get the fluid out when they could get in their tent at night and warm up, which took like hours. Even they said feeling temperatures of negative 50 was sometimes nice considering jesus they in their sleeping bags their sleeping bags also had some moisture and those froze solid from like their breath and their sweat and all that you know they're working hard so they're sweating but it's mm-hmm. i guess it took like four hours in the mornings just to break camp and start going jesus. so it was like really a lot this is a level of hell yeah to me well Worst journey in the world. On top of that, there was some blizzards. One more level. So on July 12th, remember they left like... Was it June, you said? June, yeah. So on July, the temperatures rose a little bit, but then the wind started going up. They say force 10. I don't even know what that is. So they had to just like huddle down and wait. And it was so cold that their their sleeping bags and their clothes didn't thaw or ever dry out. They just had to wait out for the weather. So eventually, so eventually they got to their goal and it was like 800 feet up on the slopes of Mount Terror. <laughs> like they just went through all that to get to Mount Terror. Perfect. What they were planning to do is they're like, okay, this is going to be like a thing and the weather's bad. Mm-hmm. Our tents are not, not, like we're just freezing. So they decided to build an igloo and they were going to build it kind of like on the side of this mountain and then work from there to get down to where the rookery is mm-hmm. for the penguins to get the eggs, come back up and then shelter there and then take off. They spent a couple of days getting rocks and boulders and trying to build this igloo. I didn't know that you built igloos with rocks. That's different, I guess. They were just saying that it was like, yeah, they dug up rocks. Maybe it was just like what they were thinking they should do is like dig up rocks for the foundation. Mm -hmm. But I swear I've seen igloo. Like made of ice. Yeah, it's just like packed ice together. And I guess because it was crazy dark. They had mm-hmm. to use like a lamp to do it, Jesus. to build the walls. And after a couple of days of doing this, the walls were built. Something about the snow was so frozen that they couldn't like get them to go in or stay like right. where they wanted them to. Because I do know that you need like kind of uh, powdery snow to put in the in yeah. the crevices to stop the wind from cold coming through. Jesus and it would Christ. freeze. So what they did was they got some canvas from one of their sledges and used it as a roof. And then they found this other plank. I don't know. I don't know where they got this other plank, but they saved mm-hmm. it and they or they brought it with them mm-hmm. for just to make a door. They maybe that was their plan all along, which is to go and like we're gonna build an igloo and then we're gonna go down, we're gonna get these eggs, we're gonna do these things. Mm-hmm. But it was just super cold and crazy. The weather was looking a little bit better, and they were gonna like okay, we're gonna go down to this Cape Crozier where the penguins are. Mm-hmm. So they took one of their empty sledges, two ice axes, an alpine rope, and skinning tools because they were planning we're gonna get some eggs. They were also gonna get some of the penguins and skin them oh. <laughs> and eat them and save the the blubber for like. Oh, well, I mean, I know know. I get it. It's cool for Uncle Bill. Things had changed since the last time he was there and it Mm -hmm. wasn't so easy. They had to like slither across these these snow slopes and crawl and it like it was crazy they were taking turns hauling up you know each other out of like they kept falling in crevices we talk a lot about that in the other one people just fall through these crazy crevices but they could hear the emperor penguins but it was like a crazy steep like treacherous climb to get down there 
So I guess Aspley, okay, you're the youngin. You stay up there and like we'll hand you stuff and you help us like get up and down. And he was up there like, okay, I'm going to stay. So I'll get into that in a second. But I thought this would be a good time to talk about emperor penguins. Would you like to know more about emperor penguins? I would very much. I'm not going to try to say their scientific name because I will F it up. (laughs) They're carnivores. Their group name is a colony. Oh, well, there you go. Well, there you go. They live in the wild 15 to 20 years. They get up to about 90 pounds. Dang. Yeah. And they're like tall as hell, like three and a half feet tall. Are they the biggest penguin? Yes. They are huge. They're about the size or height of a six-year-old child. So they're like three, almost four feet tall. Wow. Can you imagine like just in your, like just if one was here next to us, four feet tall, 90 pounds. That's a, that's a big ass bird. I know. <laughs> that's a big ass bird right there. So right now IUCN lists them as near threatened. The mm. current population trend is stable, but we're going to talk more about that. For penguins, there's 18 species. Five of those live in Antarctica. Another four live in sub-Antarctic islands. 11 of them are globally threatened, according to the IUCN Red List. Mm-hmm. Emperor penguins are the largest of the 18 species and the largest of all birds. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Maybe it's their weight. Maybe not the tallest, but largest. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, ostrich or whatever. Mm-hmm. There were ancient mega penguins, of course. Mega penguins. Wait a minute. <laughs> Did you know that? Mega penguins? Megan penguins. <laughs> there were mega penguins. They found fossils when they were later, when they were doing more research, not this crew, mm-hmm. that showed these huge penguins that lived about 37 million years ago and they stood over six and a half feet tall. No, thank you. And weighed 250 pounds. <laughs> It would be like if my husband was, a he's already tall. Yeah. But if he wait, yeah. It's like if he was a penguin. If he were like a little more wide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that insane? That's crazy. Yeah. Mega well, penguins. Now I know what I'm going to be for Halloween. I, totally. I love it. That's great. There are approximately 595,000 adult emperor penguins in Antarctica, but lack of research, there's a lot they don't know. So there could be, you know, those numbers could be higher or lower. They've been able to watch them from space. So they had this survey led by British scientists in 2012. They used satellite technology to follow these colonies and they looked for poo stains. Poo stains that were left on the ice from like breeding sites. Uh So they found a number of like areas, colonies that they had never counted. So they, you know, they weren't ever able to get there physically, but they were able to count them from satellite from their poop stains. That's so funny. They're like, where's the brown snow? Yeah, don't eat the brown snow. Yellow snow, brown snow. There we go. So now they think there's like 54 emperor colonies in the Antarctic. Oh. Um, about half of them were discovered this way by satellite surveys. Um, but they nobody's ever been there to most of them. Like people haven't actually physically been there because what the hell... <laughs> How are you going to get there? Yeah, it's freaking cold. So they incubate their eggs during the winter months, like we talked about. Their courtship, mm-hmm. they have like, and I think, you know, this is kind of like a happy feet kind of thing, but they have this very crazy display of courtship. Mm-hmm. But the copulation is fast. 
<laughs> wham bam thank you ma'am pump and done get it out <laughs> they're done so the female lays a single egg in may or june and then she passes it over to her male partner to mm-hmm. incubate and then she pieces out i love it i know right love it she's like bye so she goes the next nine weeks she swims around and eats and the male has to stand there <laughs> with this egg balanced on his feet and he has like a what do they call the, the little fat, fat pouch what yeah are call, what are those called a poof or are you talking about in women mm-hmm. like after you have a baby yeah and you have like a little yeah i don't know i don't know what people call them like a muffin top <laughs> like but a, he uses this like fat pouch yeah yeah he puts it well they call it a brood pouch a pooch wait a brood pouch no no i'm trying to think of what the word is for no there's some really gross word for it that yeah, i've heard yeah, before yeah. i probably um, it's probably good we don't know but someone's gonna somebody's write it saying it right now they're like it's called this we're like, yeah. <laughs> like okay okay well anyway so he keeps this... a brood pouch yeah brood i like brood pouch that's nice yeah that's I'm like, that's I'm like, very manly though you know like, what i mean that's just my brood pouch it's like so... a it's like a fanny pack <laughs> <laughs> a vagina pack <laughs> So, <laughs> so he keeps the egg on his feet, under his flap. His poop. His poop. That's what <laughs> That's it is, it. like a fupa or something, yeah, right? Yeah. Anyway, he has that over it to keep it warm. And he stands there for 65 to 75 days, keeping it warm. That's all he does. And it's like blizzard, freaking cold. Worst thing ever you could possibly imagine to stand there. I don't mean to laugh, but it's like Penguin is like, man. I just shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. You know what I <laughs> but mean? I did it. But I did it. I just wanted to. I just wanted to uh, have the so, sex. She was so pretty. But yeah. The sex was so fast. I don't know what happened. Like it wasn't even was worth, this it. worth it. Yeah. <laughs> They're like walking around. Like, man, is this worth it? No, man. <laughs> he will stand there. They all stand there, huddled together. I think they have that in Happy Feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. I remember. Yeah. Well, because that's how. Because his dad was on the outside of the circle. Yes. Yeah. They, don't they like rotate in? They kind of, I think they kind of like shuffle. shuffle around and yeah, try to get in the center. Mm-hmm. So after this, then they have the, the chicks. Come on. So cutest cute. freaking chicks ever, right? Yeah. There's I no agree. cuter. There's They're no so cuter. Floofy They're so floofy and adorable. So they somehow can live in these crazy, like negative 50 degrees Celsius with winds up to 200 kilometers per hour Jesus. because they have two layers of feathers and they have all this fat and they yeah. have a little tiny, they have smaller beaks, which helps them like prevent heat loss and mm. they have their flippers. So they're all kind of like bound up with the blubbers and the feathers and everything. So somehow they do it. They also have feathers on their legs and their ankles, which I guess isn't normal oh. for most birds. Yeah. And that helps them keep them warm. And their feet are adapted because they have like this special fat at the on their feet pads that prevents them from freezing and crazy like strong claws that they can grip the ice yeah i've seen penguin feet they're real creepy looking uh yeah well we should add a photo penguin feet yeah yeah you can do penguin it. feet most of the colonies of adults and chicks they work together like huddle together for warmth there's five thousand or more like packed together and they just shuffle around and take turns and on the outside it's can be too cold, right? So they, yeah, like you, like you were saying, they like take tur- take turns to go to the middle. But they're also crazy good when they're not huddled and doing that part. They're crazy good at diving. 
They have the deepest record dive. It's 1,850 feet Dang. or 564 meters. It's the longest recorded dive was 28 minutes. No problem. For a bird. That's yeah. pretty crazy. Um, That's like f- my weekend. Oh. <laughs> right? That's like, yeah. <laughs> so they feed mostly on the Antarctic silverfish and other f- species of fish, krill, and squid. The adult penguins eat about six pounds per day. But I mean, they weigh 90 pounds. <laughs> yeah. You know, they got to keep up that amazing figure. That's right. Um, But on a good day, they can eat twice that much. I feel that. Mm. On a good day. On a good day. Double it up. Definitely. Because they got to store all that body fat for the long winter and they got to feed their chicks. The males, during that time that they have the egg, they don't eat for up to four months. So they just get all skinny and sad. Best diet ever. (laughs) Best diet ever. (laughs) (laughs) They, so when they get there and when the mother goes, she goes and she feeds all that time and she's just like, this is, this is the best. It's just just like like a bunch of ladies hanging out together, just eating. And the men are just starving. Swimming. They're just starving in the cold, all huddled together. So when she comes back, she's all like fat and happy. Mm-hmm. And she comes back and she starts like vomiting all that amazing food <laughs> into the baby's mouth. <laughs> so, wait, 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 wait. Is there like a different place that they're storing the food that they've eaten? Because I'm just thinking like, what do they just poop out? You know what I mean? Like how? I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, I guess you have like a lot of fat or whatever. I don't know. They just like bleh. And it comes out. So she'll come back and she'll feed, you know, the babies with all that. And then the males go and then they just eat like right, hell because right. they're like never having sex again and then they do it again and then the next the next mating season they're like i swear i wasn't gonna do this and she's like with a tequila <laughs> she's like just one shot come on let's do it'll this. be fun let's just anniversary you know i promise it'll uh, we'll go longer this time yeah definitely it just, it just doesn't <laughs> so i guess also ember ember penguins and this is kind of important to know they can climb steep ice cliffs because they mm. have those crazy sharp claws yeah um and they've been known to breed on ice shelves so this can be helpful when the ice is melting yeah in 2013 there were british and australian scientists discovered two emperor penguin colonies on ice shelves at barrier bay um and two other temporary colonies at shackleton and nickerson ice shelves um and yeah this might be a useful adaptation strategy as the climate climate change have you heard of it climate change we're gonna talk about it more later but let's go into emperor penguins predators are mostly for adult penguins are mostly seals and orcas i mean we've all seen happy feet but in the and then birds eat a lot of the chicks there's different that go after the chicks and the of course orcas and seals will eat chicks too but they can also eat those big guys climate change is the number one factor and to um, the loss of the species. Hmm. And I'll talk more about that at the end. Back to the story of these cold ass dudes trying to get some eggs. Yes, that guy, Aloysius. <laughs> Aspley? Aspley, close enough. Uh, Aloysius. <laughs> I like that better. That's a family name. Nice. <laughs> he was, they were on that, the really they're high on the, cliff Yeah, they're thing. trying to get yeah, down yeah, yeah. Mount Terror right. <laughs> to get to the actual like rookery uh, that's down there and get some eggs and get some penguins. Just murder some penguins. I wonder. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine like those guys or those males are down there just like just hating life, and then somebody just comes and like ice picks them in the head. Jesus, that's like a penguin horror movie right there. Right. That's like that's gonna be on ID for sure. <laughs> just penguin cops, detectives, <laughs> penguin detectives. It's like we've never seen this. Uh, it's this... like 2020 on own. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when they got there, there were about a hundred penguins in the rookery, and this is compared to like 
2,000 that he had counted in 1902 and 1903 when he was there. So it's kind of, I don't really know why that is. It could just be that they fluctuate or could Mm be one, you know, there's other rookeries that others went to that year. Right. He expected there to be a lot more than there were. Mm -hmm. So he was a little bummed and kind of surprised and he just took note of it. But in the end, they got five eggs and they put them inside their mittens for protection. They killed and skinned three penguins and each of those were like 90 pounds each, but they really needed that for their journey back. Sure. Needed the food and all that. Poor Aspley and his bad eyesight. I guess he was in charge of holding two of the eggs. And he fell and smashed them. No! So Bertie Bowers put his foot through a crack into the sea and it froze into a block of ice. His foot! <laughs> Hold on. But he didn't drop a goddamn egg. Well, look at the champion right there. Yeah. How did he get his foot out? Did they just, I don't like, know. ice pick they it just out? They just ice picked it out. So That's like a cartoon. It is. It is. So they thought this was like the worst part. They're like, this is the worst thing ever. And that, you know, it can only get better from here. But it Ask didn't. just like covered in yolk. <laughs> it's just like... Every- <laughs> Everyone's like, God damn it. Penguin embryos. I wonder if they just like cooked them up. I don't know. Right? Yeah. What do you do with it then? You just like lick it off your hands? So in his book, The Worst Journey in the World, (laughs) Astley wrote of this moment and he said, it's quoted, such extremity of suffering cannot be measured. Madness or death may may give relief. But this I know, we on this journey were already beginning to think of death as a friend as we groped our way back that night sleepless icy and dog tired in the dark and wind and the drift a crevasse seemed almost a friendly gift jesus that's low they really yelled at him for breaking those eggs <laughs> i think that's <laughs> he what was happened in a bad place. he went all that way and he's the dude that broke two of the and they're like eggs. you motherfucker yeah and he's like can i just fall into a crevasse now and just die dr uncle bill was like dr uncle bill had been really cool up to that point <laughs> He's and like, then you he, know saw what? His, he saw his, ba- his, his angry side. <laughs> so back at the igloo, the blubber stove <laughs> spit boiling oil into Uncle Bill's eye. Shut up. <laughs> oh, God. It's like I'm laughing. It's so horrible. It's horrible. And he was like in agony. And he thought he was like permanently blinded. Blinded. Luckily. I think it was okay. Oh my so God. he got that going for him. So they, they did they, that's what their heating source was. They took some of that blubber and just like cooked it up. They cooked it. Yeah. It's or like, like heating it. and maybe yeah, like a, a lamp or something like yeah. that. Right, right. Yeah. I don't know. That's what they use for fuel is blubber. Mm-hmm. Right. So they stashed all their gear in like the tent and then they went to the igloo to sleep. But the wind was so crazy that night. He said it was as though the world was having fits of hysterics. The earth was torn in pieces. The indescribable fury and roar of it cannot be imagined. There was a blizzard. That sounds rough. So all they know is sometime later, they were woken up by Bertie Bowers saying, Bill, Bill, the tent is gone. Oh, shit. The tent had blown away, but somehow their gear, like, was okay. Oh, who? So they were hauling against like the snow in the dark and they managed to pass everything, like get it all into the igloo. Mm -hmm. Um, But because like where the igloo was, it caused like a vacuum of sucking wind and snow. And then all this dust and snow was just like coming in. And then the canvas roof just disintegrated. Like a tiny storm inside the igloo. Yeah, a bit. Like, like the wind it is just kind of sucking it in. It in. Okay. Yeah. And so what happened is oh, their roof. They have, holes. they have holes in the igloo. Yeah. Their right. roof like blew away. And they basically, all these Jesus. rocks and snow like fell on them. And they just got in their sleeping bags and just slept. They were like, that. fuck it. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> I mean, that's when you like give up this. I mean, not to compare this at all, but my son went on a camp 
camping trip and the, <laughs> the woman who took them forgot to put up the rain fly. Oh, God. And, you know, it's Guam. Yeah. It's going to rain every Air, night. Yeah. Like, it's going to happen. 3 a.m. They got just, like, rained on. Always and put he that He said that they just kind of, yeah, they just kind of laid there. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> God. And that's what he says. We lay and thought and sometimes we sing. Oh. At least they sang. I wonder what kind of songs they sang. Just fuck it all. <laughs> <laughs> I want to die. Oh, my God. I don't know. So they didn't have a tent. And so without a tent, getting back to Cape Evans was going to be really rough. Yeah. So they talk, They thought about like, well, okay, well, every night we can dig a hole and cover it with a roof of some sort and Cut. make a floor. They were just like coming up with ideas. They were like, we're probably going to die. Yeah. We can't get all the way back 70 miles without a tent. They're thinking of making like an inverted igloo. So like they just dig a Something hole. Something like and then, that. Yeah. And yeah. Like a- so Bertie Bowers wrote, I was resolved to keep warm and beneath my debris covering, I paddled my feet and sang all the songs and hymns I knew to pass the time. I could occasionally thump Bill and his, as he still moved, I knew he was alive. Oh my God. Yeah. And also it was, it was Uncle Bill's birthday. Happy birthday. What Uncle other story Bill. was I talking about that it was like horrific and it was somebody, oh, it was the one of the, the men that were trapped on their trimaran. Oh, right. somebody's birthday. <laughs> it was like it was like everyone was really angry with him, but yeah. then it was his birthday, so it's like they couldn't be because they're like, oh. yeah, it was the guy who dove down to get the oxygen. Yeah, the, 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 the water. captain. Yeah, of that. or something. Anyway, oh, through all the storm, their blubber blubber stove broke. <laughs> no. And they were also short of oils. Under the sleeping bags, they just were stuck there trying to get through this blizzard. They actually stuffed handfuls of snow, which we learned you're not supposed to do, into their mouths just to quench the thirst. And they didn't eat for two days, like a full 48 hours. And then finally, on the 24th of July, the wind kind of died down. And they got out to look for the lost tent, the tent Mm. that blew away. And it was dark, so they couldn't see shit. And... They were just like, this is terrible. So they went back into the igloo. They hung out another night. They were able to get like some sort of stove working. I don't know. And he said that they cooked this. I don't know what it is. It's pemmican and it's some sort of meat. Pemmican? Pemmican. I have no idea what it is. I It said it's like a meat mixture and it's something they ate a lot of there. And that's why they all got scurvy is it was like too much meat. There was no vitamin C in anything like right. no vegetables and no vitamin C. Wait, do they have scurvy yet? No. Not till later. No, they don't have scurvy yet. Because this is actually a short trip. Jesus. Yeah. Okay, can you imagine you're like, I'm just going to go on this short trip. <laughs> no big deal. Tour. <laughs> so, th- and it goes this This horribly. trip total was five weeks. Which isn't that it's long. not that long no but it's still i mean when it's cold everything well, and they got takes stuck longer. and they lost their mm-hmm. tent and and they said when they did try to get their food it was full of hairs from their bags and penguin feathers and dirt and mm. debris and it was gross but they're like and, and they say that the blubber that was left in the cooker got burned and gave everything like this burn taste even i guess they had some tea but they said it was the best meal ever because they hadn't eaten for like two days. Yeah. And they're like, we don't we don't even care. It's just freaking good. So a little light came up in the sky finally and they were feeling better because they ate a little bit. Mm-hmm. So they're feeling like, okay, we're not dead yet. So they went out and they actually found their freaking tent. Oh. It was like a half a mile away and they said it was folded up like an umbrella. The poles were broken, but it was pretty much undamaged. So they were able to pack it back up and head back. The penguins took it. The penguins were like, <laughs> they found it. <laughs> it was like what they were taking for killing three of their dudes. Yeah. The journey back was not much easier. They were super tired. They said they slept while they ate and while they walked. Like it was just so rough. I don't I mean, know. How do you, I guess you do that. Right. When you're just exhausted. They camped 
several times to escape like the crazy blizzard winds. They huddled in, t- in wet sleeping bags. And on July 26, they were lost in a bunch of crev- crevices. Mm-hmm. Crevices? Crevasses. Crevasses. I know I keep saying it differently. And count with the sound of the pressure pops all night from those like waiting. I mean, it just, uh, I think I talked about this in the other episode that they could hear it like booming and mm-hmm. they described it as a whacking on an empty tub. So imagine you don't know if you're on top of one of those where it's going to crack open. Yeah. That's the scariest thing. You're just like waiting for it to happen. Yeah. Eventually, Birdie... Our Scotsman did Mm -hmm. fall into a crevasse. (gasps) No. But he was attached by his harness, a harness to the sledge, and they were able to pull him back up. Thank God. I know. We can't Did Birdie... Wait, Birdie was also the person who dropped his foot into the water, turned into a block? Jesus, Birdie. Come on, Birdie. But he had the best attitude, I think. Every day, eventually the sun was kind of coming up on the horizon a little more, and they managed to cover like six or seven miles a day compared to how it was when they were going the other way they were getting like feeling like okay we can do this they finally got back to cape evans after five weeks hardest conditions they had ever recorded it it was so cold that aspley the 24 year old his teeth froze and cracked and because he was chattering his teeth because he was so cold it almost shattered all of his teeth. What? His teeth were I didn't even cracked know you could, and shattered. That can happen. That can happen. And that happened to him and it affected him his whole life. The three remaining eggs made it back. Mm-hmm. They were intact, but they were frozen solid, which is fine. They said there was um, a bluish white shade, much discolored by stains. Dr. Bill thawed them out. He cut little windows into each of the shell and was excited because there was like full-grown penguin embryos in there. Oh. At a, they say advanced stage of development. And he, they say he pickled them. So I don't know what he oh. used back, what they used back then. If they had like formaldehyde or Just whatever. Pickle juice, a bunch of vinegar. The ones that Ashley, Ashley? Aspley. Jesus, why is it so, I, I'm like Rick Ashley? Anyway, <laughs> uh, when he fell on them, were they like chicks? I don't know. They didn't say. They just said that he oh. broke them. They're back. They were exhausted. I posted some pictures. They look really rough. They were like, F that. But we, you know, it was kind of a mission accomplished. Now it was getting time for them to set off for the South Pole. <laughs> sorry uh, i mean i would have been out to begin with but like you go totally. through that and come back it'd be like so that I'm was good. in that was in um when they get back in july mm-hmm. okay so august september this is november 1st so they have a little bit of time so they've recuperated mm-hmm. they wrote up all their stuff you know wrote letters wrote down their experience this is where he got everything for his book cut off their dead limbs they could cut off all their toes and fingers. <laughs> they wrote with like the nubbins of their. <laughs> no, they were they they made it. They it's time because now it's like the Austral Spring, right? So they're gonna head for the South Pole. The real deal. Pre trip done. That was pre trip. I would be like, I'm good. I'll stay back and take care of Listen, the Someone has to do inventory. I need to, exactly. You got to oil some stuff. You got to watch for ships coming in. Definitely. I don't know. There's a lot of things that need to be done a lot of stuff. at the camp. So 14 of the men were on this journey. That's a lot of mouths to feed. And let me just tell you, there was this other Norwegian explorer, Odmundsen, mm-hmm. that was also leaving at the same time to try to get to the South Pole. Oh. And he had sent a message to Captain Scott like, 
hey, we're already here getting ready to go. And so Captain Scott was like kind of freaking out. He's like, we got to get there before this asshole. And the funny thing is, if you look up this Norwegian explorer, Amundsen, he looks exactly like in the movie Up, the explorer Charles Muntz. The one that was trying to get the bird. I'm not kidding you. Yes. Totally looks Are like him. Are you serious? He even has like a big floofy. Didn't he have like kind of like a floofy, a floofy jacket? floofy jacket, yeah. Yes, he does. Weird. Look at the old picture when he's yeah. older. Right? <laughs> he does have a floofy jacket. Yes. He totally looks His like him. His eyebrows though. Oh yeah. That's serious. That's serious. Well, that guy was. Engelbrecht. That guy was hardcore. Anyway, so there's 14 people, 14 dudes that are going to go and there's, they mixed it up. So they've got some motors. I don't know, like motor sledges, like they're high tech in it now. Oh. They have some dogs, the husky dogs, mm-hmm. and they have horses. And so they loaded all these sledges and they're going at different rates. And most of them, the, the whole point is that they're going to like leave like stop at different places and leave like supplies so they can keep these guys supplied because not all of them will go all the way to the South Pole. It's only going to be like four of them. Okay. But they need to feed them and help them out most of the way as far as they Mm -hmm. can go and then go back. Like a little ladder. Yeah, exactly. It's like a ladder. So some of them are ahead, some are behind, you know, so they're like, and they're Mm -hmm. setting up those depots along the way to put like supplies for them when they're coming back. Yeah, it makes sense. Like it is. It's it's smart. So over the time, they kind of got, uh, the group got smaller because the different support teams headed dropped off Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so in the end captain scott decided that there's going to be five men whereas originally there was only going to be four Mm -hmm. so he it was going to be him uncle bill birdie birdie birdie's like the dude this other guy named captain lawrence oats oh wait like oats like Like oatmeal yeah (laughs) and then this other guy called edgar or they called him taff evans So that was going to be the final crew that was going to go completely all the way. So since we're adding some new characters here, so there's the Captain Oates, right? So he was also from a wealthy family, and he also made a donation of $1,000. He also had a little more experience, so I think that's why they were like, yeah, let's do that. You you can come along. So he had experience from... Boer War, B-O-E-R, which I've never heard of. Yeah. But during that war, he got shot in the leg and had an injury to his thigh, but it healed. And a, But it made him like an inch shorter on that leg, his right leg. But apparently he was super strong. The biggest reason why they asked him to come along is because they put him in charge of the ponies that were brought along because there was also this dog handler named Mears, but that dog handler didn't know much about the ponies. And there's some stories in there where this guy was like, you know, I came to help out with like horses and ponies, but they all looked pretty like in bad shape even when they had left. Yeah. For the trip. Uh, Yeah, I think they they learned later that the ponies and horses just didn't hold up well. Yeah, I'm thinking, are they bringing those ponies that are like um, very hairy? I guess. I saw some pictures. They didn't look, They just look like ponies? They just look like ponies. Jesus, that sounds awful. But I mean, out there, the way they thought of things was like, we'll just bring all these animals. If we can't use them or they don't help us, we'll just eat them. The Boer War is the one that the British fought in South Africa. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. That's why we don't there know were, about it. There were two of them, apparently. Go for it. Colonizers. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. So the other guy, it says P.O. I think it's like something officer, petty officer, maybe. Oh. Edgar Taff Evans. He was like a great big guy, they say, and he liked to drink. And I guess he they almost left him behind in New Zealand because he was like super drunk. <laughs> and he like almost fell off the ship. But I guess they really liked him and thought he was really strong. And they they thought he was really funny and cheerful. So they're like, 
Let's keep him. They're sizing him up and they're like, if we need to, we can eat that guy first. <laughs> For real. The five of them marched on. They reached the pole. They got there oh. on January 17th, only to find that there was already a goddamn flag left by the Norwegian explorer. Norwegian. Freaking Charles Munts. <laughs> Amundsen damn uh, you Amundsen well because he had he had a helium ship he had these balloons. things called yeah he, yeah he had the balloons that's but fun. I guess they there was this whole side story about the Norwegians and this whole like race to get there and the Norwegians were just like way better in the snow well, than the British yeah they knew how to use the right animals they knew how to wear the right they yeah. wore animal furs and they just they figured it out a little better. They're like snow in Britain is, is you know, like summertime for them. Yeah. They're I mean, like, they're Norwegian. Norwegian. Yeah. yeah. We, it's cold. We eat all the things that are here. They're like, we, this is like we our like backyard. stinky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They right? were, they, they just did the damn thing. So they had actually left, the, that guy had left a note and, <laughs> and, and a sledge. Oh, no. I think they left a sledge oh, no. and like, like a tent behind and it was dated uh, December 18th. So it had been like five weeks earlier. Jesus. Yeah. And so Scott, Captain Scott was defeated he was really upset let's just say he wrote in his diary because everybody wrote in their diaries back then journaling he wrote the worst they're all just like bloggers right he wrote the worst has happened all the day dreams must go great god this is an awful place (laughs) (laughs) i like translation to today it's like fuck all (laughs) right You know, it's funny to me that he would be so defeated. I mean, I get it because they're like trying to be the first. But to he get also there. he knew that guy was on right? his way. But but they made it there. Mm-hmm. They made it. So but it's they like weren't the I made first. it. They couldn't claim their glory. What if he just went like like five feet over and was <laughs> like another flag? It was like calculated wrong. He's like, this is that's, no, right. that's it's wrong. here, right? It's here. actually here. We're the ones, or just threw away all that i mean how would they just know? pull his flag out yeah how would you know i mean i guess you could just have to go murder like amundsen and all their people that would be that would be their tiktok <laughs> how'd anybody know how's it go <laughs> they're never gonna know <laughs> you're just pulling out the flag throwing They'll never know. what was the note that um that he wrote was it just like it was like see you later suckers like all in norwegian so they didn't understand it so the it says that now they're, oh, shit, I messed up. Remember I said it was 300 miles? Yeah. It was actually 862 miles. That's basically the same. <laughs> I was way off. I think I'm getting confused with Dawson's journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, 862 miles. That's that's really far. Like, I don't even want to drive that far on the highway. Far. Oh, we can't even well not here but well, I mean, yeah yeah in the yeah, before yeah. life when we the... <laughs> were like, highways but anyway 862 miles or 1387 kilometers for everybody else in the world they started heading back it was january 19th captain scott wrote i'm afraid that a return journey is going to be dreadfully tiring and monotonous wasn't the journey there dreadfully tiring and monotonous well i think they had a lot of help now, there. now they're just feel oh because all of the help is gone like right. they they already headed back they're now they're heading back but they oh. the support team was supposed to have left them like stuff stuff along the way sure 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 so they said they made good progress mm-hmm. despite the weather being bad 
And they completed this polar plateau stage of their journey, which was approximately 300 miles. I think that's where I got that. So they made it like 300 miles. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I would walk 500 miles. <laughs> anyway, so on February, that, and that was by February 7th. And then the following couple of days, they made it another 100 miles. I mean, it's pretty hardcore. That's already 400 miles. So yeah. like halfway. That's when something happened at this place called Beardmore Glacier. I guess Edgar Evans, who was... Bill. Uncle Bill? No. Evans was the guy who had... Um, he was the big guy that liked to drink. Oh, I'm thinking Edward is yeah. Bill. Right. Edgar. Okay. Edgar. So Edgar Evans, along the way, he had gotten a cut on his hand. Oh, no. And when they were like repairing a sledge somewhere along the way, and it just wouldn't heal. And so he got an infection. Shit. Yeah. You never want to get a cut when you're in like that kind of environment or, you know, outdoors. And so the infection was weakening him they also say that probably he had scurvy and he was getting real sick from that what scott said was a very broken down in the brain like he was starting maybe the infection was starting to really get to him he was he had blisters he had frostbitten feet frostbitten nose and then these wounds right Mm -hmm. also apparently it's like he hit his head like he fell on ice and hit his head jesus i think that all of this is documented in Mm -hmm. um their diaries on February 17th, 1912, he died there at that Beardmore Glacier. Oh, shit. And they just built, like, they piled snow on him and did a little service for him. And that was it. Oh, I'm sad about that. Yeah, he didn't make it. Later, also, Captain Lawrence Oates, but they also called him Titus. I don't think I mentioned that earlier. Titus. It's so cool. They thought maybe he had scurvy. And also, his leg was starting to really bother him. Like, the wound had reopened. Oh, no. His feet were really frostbitten and i think that he thought he was slowing them down and so one night he just walked out of their tent and he never came back oh that's really sad they think that he felt like he was at this point they say his feet were so bad that he was developing gangrene maybe he knew it wasn't and he didn't want to slow them or stop them and he had been suffering from that for like several weeks and so he told them when he left he said i'm just gonna go outside he says i'm just going outside and maybe sometime but they never found his body oh wow yeah I think he just walked and walked until he couldn't, he just couldn't walk and then anymore. lay down in the snow. Went to sleep. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that sad? That's really sad. Yeah. It was only Captain Scott, Uncle Bill, and Birdie. Just the three of them. They kept going. They went another 20 miles. But at this point, Captain Scott's toes were also getting frostbitten. They decided to make another camp on March 19th. Here's the crazy thing. It was about 12 and a half miles before they got to that one ton depot. Oh. But I don't know if they didn't know or if they were just in such bad shape that they had to stop because they were so close. And they get hit by a blizzard. Oh, no. This blizzard went for like days and it didn't stop and they couldn't leave their tent and they honestly didn't have enough food or fuel for it. And they were super weak. They were hungry. They were cold. And they actually all died in the tent. (gasps) They said the last diary entry from Captain Scott's diary was on March 29th. So it was like 10 days later after that they had stopped. It was still 148 miles from their base camp, but only 12 and a half miles and they could have had supplies. 
They died. They all died. Shit. So the following spring, because this was in March, right? Mm -hmm. But then they're going into winter. It's blizzards. They can't do anything. So it wasn't until the following November that they were able to go out and look for them. And that was in November of 1912. And um, Aspley was one of the ones on the research crew. They said that they basically, they found them all. They collapsed their tent on top of them and just buried them there where they were. And they made a cross. And actually, this place is still marked with a cross to this day. So they used some skis to to cover it. Basically, along with their equipment and supplies, they had been hauling they'd been hauling along 30 pounds of geological samples. The search crew, search party was mm-hmm. able to re- recover all of that. What happened is that everything, all their rations had been very like calculated. It was all measured and probably it just wasn't enough. Mm. I mean, it was probably not that they were, you know, scurvy. Yeah. Right. But it also just wasn't for how much they were doing. It just wasn't enough to keep them going. Yeah. They didn't understand proper nutrition and all that stuff back then. It was a lot of protein and that pemmican thing, which like I said, it's like a beef mix of some sort and they had biscuits sugar butter tea those kind of things and they also ate the ponies so they supplemented with pony meat oh they ate the pony yeah so i mean i kind of figured that was gonna happen yeah i mean i think that's why a lot of times they took animals there they're like we'll use them and then we'll eat them basically they were starving he was only supposed to take four like him and three others mm-hmm. but for some reason he took five so they- and some people say that might have been a fatal flaw because they just mm-hmm. didn't have enough rations to make it but what really happened and what everybody can kind of agree on is that the weather did it that blizzard If they hadn't got hit by that blizzard, they probably would have made it back. Right. So one of the things that is kind of sad to me is that Captain Scott and Uncle Bill were really close. Yeah. Like they were like besties for a long time. And in his diary, Captain Scott wrote, Words must always fail me when I talk of Bill Wilson. I believe he really is the finest character I ever met. And when they finally found them at their camp where they had died, they noted that Bertie, the Scottish guy, mm-hmm. and Uncle Bill were like frozen in their sleeping bags, like inside their sleeping bags. But Captain Scott, his bag was open um, and his body was partially out of his bag and his left arm was across wilson across well, uncle bill like he was so they think he was then. the last to die like those two died and then he died last and he reached out that's so sad isn't that sad oh my god like full-on trying not to like i know <sighs> it's like that was his closest friend and and i think he just you know it's like he's the captain mm-hmm. he was the last one to go it's like i don't know it's like going down with the ship yeah yeah and i'm sure he felt bad like he had led all these men to their deaths Every captain will take the blame for that. So let's talk about those eggs. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the... Let's talk about those let's eggs. Let's talk about the eggs. Because Uncle Bill died. Mm-hmm. Aspley to be the one to, to make carry sure on these the, eggs yeah, yeah. make it back. Because this guy died. I mean, they all loved him. He did this whole... You know, he went on this crazy adventure with him. They almost died in that just getting the eggs. Mm-hmm. You know? And now his two companions that he went on the trip with, they're both dead. He's really sad. He owes because he cracked those two. And then he cracked those two. He fell on them because <laughs> he wasn't wearing his glasses. So he was able to get them back a couple years later, got them all the way back to the Natural History Museum in South Kensington, London. So when he got there to the National History Museum with the eggs, it seems the way he wrote it, they were super rude to him and they almost like didn't help him. 
And he had to spend hours waiting for them to get the chief custodian of eggs. Because I guess there's like a special person that just curates or like holds eggs of things. Interesting. So I watched this YouTube video about a guy who now looks after all these things at the Natural History Museum. And he's really cool. And he talks about the eggs. It's a really short little YouTube video. You should watch it. Nice. So Aspley had requested a receipt for the eggs and was told it wasn't necessary. He wanted proof. Like, yeah. I, you have no idea, kind sir, what the fuck I've been through to get these eggs here. Yeah. And people have died. Can you just give me a goddamn, goddamn receipt? receipt. <laughs> right? And, like, that guy, the guy there's, like... The guy there's just, like, It's being not like, our policy to issue receipts Can you imagine that? Eggs? That's, like, a Karen moment right oh, there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just... Can I speak to your supervisor? Rage. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he was very polite, apparently. He That's just nice. sat outside and he waited and he was super mad. I don't think he got the receipt. So what he did was he went and talked to Captain Scott's sister. Oh. He's like, hey, Karen. <laughs> Can you come with me? We got to talk to Listen, this guy. Listen, can you use some of your we white gotta, lady mojo? And... We got to do a thing right here. Yeah. And she's like a rich white lady. Oh, Jesus. That's I mean, the pinnacle. It. The pinnacle, honestly. So he was like, let's go. So they requested to see the penguin eggs. And there was like the custodian there insisted that no such eggs existed <gasps> or were in their possession. What a jackass. And he kept um, pushing it. And then he's like, okay. Do your white lady thing. Yeah. She then turned the on the charm. A- the eggs appeared. <laughs> Magically. <laughs> Magically, they had the eggs. She like stomped, you know, she stomped her, stomped her feet. Right. Screamed a bunch. She had like a little parasol and she just like whacked them on the head. <laughs> you so, will bring me those eggs. <laughs> I want to speak to your manager. So anyway, they ended up with this guy named Richard. <laughs> oh no. Acid. <laughs> Ashatun? Shut up. Shut up. A S S H E T O N. I mean. Ashatun? Let's just go with that. I feel like Ashatun is better because then he would be like Dick. Dick Ashatun. Dick Ashatun. Dick Ashatun. I shouldn't even say this because he's like an embryologist. He's probably a very nice man. God. Dr. Dick Ashatun. He was. Sorry, we're children. He was an embryologist at the Cambridge University. So he was like super smart, That's way cool. smarter than us, obviously. <laughs> well, he probably got teased a lot as a child. So they're like, Dr. Asshatton. <laughs> anyway, so he got the eggs and he's the right person to have them. So nice. after, you know, Captain uh, Scott's sister, Karen Scott, was just like made those things happen. <laughs> What's her name? Really? I don't know. It just says his sister. <laughs> we'll just call her Karen. Yeah. Karen um, Scott. I wonder if that first custodian was like going to do something with those eggs. I don't know. Like or, he was going to sell them on the black market or something like that. I don't know. Or just being a complete ass. What a jerk. They're thinking there. You know, I imagine like in the early 1900s, like this British like uppity natural history museum guy is like, mm-hmm. who are you? He I sees some care. kid and like, yeah. you know, and he's like, I have these eggs. They're from Emperor. And he's like, whatever. That's not real. That's not real. Who yeah. are you? You're not a scientist. Because he nothing. wasn't a trained scientist. Yeah. But then he brought the sister and she did the thing. So the cool thing is, and this is a little like women in STEM history right mm. here. So Dr. Asseton, his assistant was Dorothy Thursby Pelham, P-E-L-H-A-M. Okay. And she was this really cool lady. And she was also, she could, um, she was an artist as well. Oh. And she did these 
amazing like pencil sketches of the embryos Mm -hmm. they're gonna we have a picture of those that we're gonna post from this article and all the links and everything of course are in the show notes so and they link to all these photos as per usual as per usual so she did all these cool pencil sketches and then he actually the dude like sliced up all the specimens into sections on 800 different slides that's a lot of slides. That's a lot of damn slides. I'm like, how do you do that? Like microscope style slides? I feel or? like, yeah, as a side note, freaking Dorothy, she was a scientist at the Zoological Laboratory at the University of Cambridge, and she went on to become England's first female seagoing fishery scientist. What? Yeah, go Dorothy. That's cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, Dr. Hatton. Anyway, he died before he could complete the research on the eggs. All of the contents went back to University of Edinburgh to another zoologist, and his name was James Ewart. I'm sure they don't say it like that. He went on to studying the emerging feathers on the embryos and found that scales and feathers do not have any common origin anyway. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Yeah. They're not some primitive bird that's connected to dinosaurs. They're not the missing bird link. They're not the bird link. Dr. Edwards said that even though like they didn't prove that theory, he said the worst journey in the world in the interest of science was not made in vain, but others say probably it was. But I think mm-hmm. anything when you're trying to, you have a hypothesis and you're trying to prove something, whether one way yeah. or the other, it's always worth it. There was this other jerk this um, guy, Charles Parsons, <laughs> who was an anatomist, too. and he wrote in 1934 that the Terra Nova specimens have not contributed much to the understanding of embryology of penguins. I mean, come on, guy. See, these are all people that were warm and cozy at their houses, like drinking yeah. tea, and didn't have to go through all this. Their tea didn't have penguin feathers in it. Exactly. And they weren't sipping it from their and frostbitten their, hands. Their fingers and toes weren't falling off. For science... They may not have been that helpful, but the mm-hmm. eggs became very important, like historical objects. Right. Because of what these men went through mm-hmm. to get them. The shells are now in the slides, have all been at the Natural History Museum, or they are now, for the last 100 years. Oh, wow. So imagine they went by sled, by ship, train, all these things. They went 25,000 kilometers into the care of this guy, Douglas Russell. He's a curator. And a bird group at the Natural History Museum. That's that's pretty cool. I love stuff like that because it's like you know the story behind them and you can almost feel like, wow, this person who so long ago touched these things, like carried them Just back. Just what, what those people went through yeah. in the name of science. In the mm-hmm. name of science. Come on. Come on. So anyway, watch that thing with this guy at the Natural History Museum talking about the eggs. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of the eggs. In the words of Aspley in his book, he said three human lives had been risked. 300 times a day and three human frames strained to the utmost extremity of human endurance in the interest of scientific inquiry. And he finished his book with the words. This is like the final words in his book. I didn't read his book, but it's get it you together, can get yeah. it on Audible. It's like 20 hours of listening. He said, if you march your winter journeys, you will have your reward so long as all you want is a penguin's egg. That's kind of a weird ending. Yeah. So because they went in the winter. Right. And no one would do that. The only reason they went was to get those eggs. No one would. I mean. No one. Jesus. No. It's kind of a miracle that they survived that very short journey. 
I know. That's crazy. In 1913, just a little bit about Aspley and the rest of his life since he survived all this. He went with this guy, Edward Atkinson, who was actually on that same trip with them. Mm -hmm. He was another scientist. He went with him to China to assist in investigation for the parasitic flatworm that was causing schistosomiasis. Yeah, yeah. Back then, especially, it was causing a real issue with British seamen. And they say even now, it affects 236 million people worldwide. That's as of 2019, an estimated 4,000 to 200,000 people, which is a big gap, they die from it each year. It's most commonly found in Africa, Asia, South America, and 700 million people in more than 70 countries live in areas where it's common. Oh, God. Yep. And then, you know, he was around for the start of the Great War, right? Early 1900s. World War One. World War One. Oh, yeah. yeah. The start of the Great War. World War One. World War. World War One. <laughs> and he actually converted his family estate that he inherited into a field hospital oh. for wounded soldiers. Also reminds me of Downton Abbey. It does. Yeah. Because totally. they did that. They did that. Mm-hmm. And then he also went to Belgium because he was trying to do, he was trying to use uh, dogs. He went as a dog trainer because he had worked with dogs like while he was on his, you know, polar trip. Yeah. And so he was trying to use dogs to sniff out wounded soldiers, but it didn't work out at all because the Germans were just so crazy. Um, so he kind of had to retreat from that. But in the end, what happened was everything was cut short because they basically said that he wasn't fit to work or to be part of the military at the time because of clinical depression. He also had this ulcerative colitis, um, and he had been suffering from that right after he got back from Antarctica because of their freaking diet and how crazy things were. His whole life had problems with his stomach. He had problems with his teeth. He was also really depressed. Nowadays, he would have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, it seems like he went through a lot of trauma. Physical, mental. Physical, mental, all the things. One thing he did to help himself because he was bedridden a lot, especially after he got back and all this happened, Mm -hmm. he ended up writing the book, The Worst Journey in the World, (laughs) in 1922. And they still say today it's one of the best like survival books of all time i don't know i haven't read it yet i didn't have time to read that book fail i might yeah i listened to it for like you know how you can listen to a sample on audible i listened mm-hmm. to it and i was like maybe, maybe do they have someone british reading it yes is it and it's dude? very old-timey you know wording uh, yeah and now that i know the story i i I might. No, I was just going to say that I watched this thing about the the word, you know how we say ye old, like if there's something like Y-E. Yes. Did you and I talk about this? Ye oldie. Yeah. So actually the Y, uh, the way that it used to be written, it was actually a word, a letter in the alphabet for T-H. Oh. Like so the. actually you would pronounce it the, like, so all this time we've been sounding like idiots. <laughs> well, that anyway, the first time. Yeah. I was, I saw this thing about that. I think it was actually a TikTok. This like linguist has a TikTok. TikTok. Like, make all sorts of shit on there and i'm like i don't know i mean i believe him because it was on the internet so it must be true it has to be true yeah if it was on a tiktok so on september 6 1939 aspling married this lady angela Catherine turner he met her during a norwegian cruise in 1937 so he was still doing the thing but he never had kids i think because he was kind of sick sickly and after the second world war he had you know his bad health and tax issues he had to sell the family estate and he lived in a flat in London, and he died um, in 1959. Oh, wow. The scientific contributions of that... Terra Nova expedition mm-hmm. were pretty amazing because he had 12 scientists that participated. A lot of them made it back. It was the largest Antarctic scientific team of its time. 
And they had all these crazy important discoveries that happened. So it wasn't all in vain. They returned back to England with over 2,100 plants, animals, and fossils. Mm. And over 400 were new to science. Oh, wow. One of the discoveries was this fossil plant, Glossopteris, was also found in Australia, New Zealand, Africa, and India. So it kind of supported that idea that the climate of Antarctica was warmer before right. and it could support trees. And that it was once like one big land mass. Part of Pangea. Yeah. Yes. Sadly, the Terra Nova, 31 years later, was carrying supplies from base stations in Greenland. This was like during wartime, and it was um, hit by gunfire, and it sunk off the coast of Greenland in 1943. But somebody went back in 2012 and found it, its remains. So you can, pretty cool. Can you like dive it and stuff? Probably. Not I that know. I would it dive it. It seems like it but... would be really cold. Greenland. Yeah. I mean, people dive in cold places. Let's talk about emperor penguins again, because I was reading about Douglas Mawson, and I saw some stuff. I was like, oh, these other guys went, and they went for these these eggs, and that's so cool. And then I was looking for science news, and I found that this article called Almost All Emperor Penguins Will Die If No Changes Are Made to Greenhouse Gas Emissions, Study Warns. <laughs> This is from this month, August 6, 2021. So this was in the ABC News, which is an Australian news. Oh, okay. But not like ABC News. Yeah, not like American ABC News. This is yeah. the Australian ABC News. So they are saying that they'll become extinct by 2100, the year 2100. Oh, okay. If Antarctic sea ice continues to decline at the current rates due to global warming. You were saying that they already can mate on thinner sea, shelves and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, like the ledges. So it's like, even with that, they're... Even with that. So they said, yeah, there's some colonies that are already struggling. No. They're struggling with the changing sea ice conditions. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that if we don't make some changes with greenhouse gas emissions, up to 98% the population could die. That's pretty much it. There's this ecologist at the Australian Antarctic Division, which I talked about in the other episode a little Mm -hmm. bit, but she co-authored the paper and she just said that once they collected the data and, you know, they threw their models together, they were uh, devastated, basically. She said this is such bad news. There are 60 known colonies of emperor penguins in the Antarctica. It's estimated that there's around 236,000 breeding pairs. So that's a little bit different. And she said under the worst scenario, they could lose 98% of them by the end of the century. So penguins use sea ice for a breeding platform and for feeding. And that is reducing. And she said that their little floof ball babies mm-hmm. won't, cannot survive in the ocean if the ice melts. So she said they're highly adapted to life on the ice and that's their habitat. So if it disappears, they go too. If sea ice declines at the rates projected by these climate change models, there's going to be a gradual decrease in the populations until 2040, which isn't that far away. And after that, it's going to speed up dramatically. And that's if nothing changes at all. Here's what's happening right now. I also saw this, that the emperor penguin is now be a candidate for listing under the U.S. Endangered Species Act. So right now it's not. It's listed as what? Um, um, near threatened. Near threatened. They're looking at um, listing it as endangered. And they said that this is actually one of the most rigorous, strict legal processes. But by listing it under the act, they can start at looking at things like protecting their habitat and actually might buy some time while they try to figure out, well, everybody tries to figure out climate change. You sort of ask yourself, what on earth are we going to do about this? A horrible yeah. option we would have tried and collect a lot of penguins and take them back and 
put them in zoos. They don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. It seems like addressing greenhouse gas emissions is the key. And she's like, you know, people, we can still do something. Let's try and do something. Yeah. Who doesn't love a good subscription box? I mean, seriously, it's like getting a surprise in the mail and it's not even your birthday. What makes it even better? When that surprise box includes hand-picked sustainable plastic swaps for your eco-conscious lifestyle. Each box is specially curated for you to redesign one area of your life without plastic. With Green Up, you get an amazing sustainable box every other month. So that's six boxes per year. You can also choose the perfect box to fit your needs. Right now, they have the summer box, but you can also choose other boxes such as the clean home box, the kitchen box, the morning routine box, the workday box, and the market box for all of your shopping needs. Each of these boxes contains four to six artfully crafted, sustainable, and eco-friendly items that are curated around the theme and valued at double the box price. To sign up, go to our sponsor page at you'regonnadieoutthere.com and click the link. Go green up and reduce, reuse, and simplify. Get it, nature nerds. Here's an organization to support. The Antarctic Science Foundation is what I talked about in our Patreon episode. And they kind of are like the nonprofit that supports a lot of the government work that's being done in Australia. They want to protect the planet through Antarctic science. But I'm also going to add here the World Wildlife Foundation because they also have a direct link to supporting emperor penguins and you can adopt a penguin. I don't know if you remember this, Megan, but back in like 2009 or 10, there's this guy named Steve Goodall and he came to where the island that we were living at and I was studying sea turtles. I 100% remember this. And he made a documentary called Someplace with a Mountain. And Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase narrates narrates it. it. And I'm in it. Yeah, he says your name, doesn't he? Chevy Chase Chase says my name. He called me a marine biologist, which... Yeah, it's fine. Whatever, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, in the islands, we can see right in front of our Mm -hmm. eyeballs that sea level is rising. You know, people who would plant taro or anything on their islands, Mm -hmm. it's, you know... Saltwater intrusion. There's saltwater intrusion. We, We see it happening right then and there. There already are a lot of what they call climate change refugees, like people having to move from their small island to Mm -hmm. bigger islands or higher islands. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why he called it someplace with a mountain because he asked one of the people from the further out islands, and these are low-lying islands like atolls, and he asked them, well, where will you go when you can't live here anymore? Because the sea level is risen to a point that you can't survive or grow your own food. And the man said, we're just gonna go someplace with a mountain like someplace high. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why he called it that. Anyway, check it out. I've seen it. it. It's good. Plus it's Chevy Chase saying your name. I know. Bonus. Bonus. It's depressing, but it's, yeah. It's really depressing. I feel like when it comes to climate change, what can I possibly do? Like I'm just this one little person. It's such a big issue. You know, you feel like there's something has to happen. Like we got to move from incentives to laws against. Yeah, or yeah. S- something big has to happen. Like I can't, me by my own little self can't make a difference. But I think there's some things we can do. Yeah, right. For sure. There's, there's still some hope. And some things I think are harder for some people to swallow than others. No pun intended. But one of them is to become a vegan. Not everybody can do that. It's true. But 
You can't eat less beef. Or you could eat meat that's uh, farmed sustainably. I think that what we need to change in our brains is that we don't have to do everything all at once, but we can baby step it to making more sustainable choices. For sure. I feel like a lot of our listeners already do this, but one of the things I read is like maybe just instead of using a desktop computer, use a laptop. It uses less energy. Like little little things like that, right? Right. Drive less. Pandemic. Fly less. Oh, pandemic's been great. Even if you can, if you can deal with it, not in the wintertime somewhere, but take don't use hot water in your shower yeah. every now and then. How about just plant a tree? I have a coconut growing outside. <laughs> <laughs> we plant a lot of trees at our place. That's true. Buy local mm-hmm. seasonal food. That That's something that's easy. Little things, right? Or grow some of your own food if you can. Like we grow a lot of our food. One thing I like, eat your leftovers. Don't oh, waste. Man. I think when I talk to my son about waste, it's more of like, hey, don't take more than you need. Especially for our kids we have to break it down into what makes sense to them throwing away your food is like equal to wasting the carbon dioxide used to produce it right right? discarded food ends up in landfills it's decomposing without oxygen so then it causes emissions of methane which go into the atmosphere and all that there's a lot of like positive things in climate change like a lot Mm -hmm. of countries are really pushing for bigger changes like in japan i just watched this whole thing about people who have they call it an earth ship they basically are building these houses that are made from trash in a way like bottles or tires okay they call them earth ships they are completely sustainable you know what's crazy is that I feel like we've been talking about climate change since we were kids. And I remember in the 90s, there was some guy who built his whole house out of like plastic Coke bottles. Yeah. And it was like, hey, we should use this as a building material. And they're super cool. Even I think Oceana does that too. They Mm -hmm. have like a thing where they'll build shelters out of uh, plastic bottles. I just think about how we've been talking about this for so long and it's not new it's made very little progress and on some level i think there's like a whole faction of people who who like have just reversed like gone in the complete opposite direction yeah and i don't i don't like a whole bunch of people that just don't believe it right they think and it's true that the earth does change on its own sure there are cycles right yeah there are cycles it gets hotter it gets Mm -hmm. colder that's all true but we're making speeding it it up and insanely yeah yeah it's not natural so anyway i just wanted to talk about climate change real quick yeah because i feel like that is the whole message in the end in these antarctic explorers what they did wasn't in vain because we learned so much there's a lot that that they did in the late 1800s early 1900s that now these climate change um Um, scientists that are still working in the Antarctic are using their data to compare. So they have that comparative data all the way going back more than 100 years. I think that's really cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Megan. So Jen. What would you put in your emergency preparedness kit if you had to go in the Austral winter and go get some um, penguin eggs in the name of science? Do you remember (laughs) when you were in like fifth grade, sixth grade science and your teacher was like, we're going to do an experiment where you get an egg. Oh my and god. And you got to put it inside a container. That was like learning how to take care of something like a baby or <sighs> no, something. No, no, no. I think it was I think it was more of like an introduction to physics. Oh. It was like how much padding did you need to be able to drop it from different heights? Oh, we, we didn't do that one. We did the one where you have to take care of an egg oh. and not crack it. It like was like, like learning a baby? like a baby. Jesus. Well, <laughs> <laughs> same. Yeah, same same. same. Yeah, this was for science. Pretty sure it was physics and it was like you took an egg, you had to build 
padding around it in different types of containers. Oh, maybe we did do that. And then that. you dropped it from different heights. So it could be like top of a ladder, right, right, right. second story of a building, you know, just to see like the, the force, like what uh-huh. are all the forces that are at work? Yeah, I think that in this case, there should have been some of those experiments that happened before they went to go get those eggs. And like they should have designed a lot some of padding. Yeah, just like extra padding in there, like some kind of either bag that they were putting the eggs in or like or some serious egg cartons, serious egg cartons. I'm wondering, though, because the ones the two they initially broke would have still been kind of soft, I guess or yolky or yeah yeah whatever inside right not so solid full of but the ones that they didn't break that they Mm -hmm. managed the three froze solid right and that probably helped them from breaking breaking some penguin size egg cartons (laughs) penguin size egg cartons (laughs) yeah definitely yeah definitely it's like you know i also think that they could have used something like better insulation like for everything some water wicking gear or whatever but they should have done what the norwegians did they knew how to do the thing in the cold i definitely think that they should have designed some kind of drone with a self-heating element in it that could have dropped their flag down before the norwegians got there so for real yeah if only a self-heating drone have we on this show talked about frontier house and like 1800s house and i think those PBS, some point we did. those PBS shows that were like I mean way better than Survivor because oh yeah. it's like you have to survive in a time where you have things you have things that can mm-hmm. help you mm-hmm. but you don't know how to use them it takes you like a week to wash your clothes <laughs> do a load of laundry Perfect. by hand <laughs> and yeah, that's no why thanks. you just wear your clothes all the time I mean that is actually if we're talking about climate change too I feel like there are some things in our past that were really smart in terms of climate change. Yeah. We like use... not bathing as much, not washing your clothes as much. Or the time before plastic. The time before plastic. Do you remember oh, if you needed water at school, you just went to the water fountain? I remember when water bottles became a thing. I totally remember when water bottles. I, and I thought it was funny. I was like, look, they're all selling water. That's People so are buying weird. water. That's good. Yeah. And like, why would you buy water? It's the you stupidest can get water thing ever anywhere. Heard. Yeah. And it now weird. it's like a thing. It's such a thing. When I go to the store, they ask you at the store, like, oh, are you buying water bottles? today and i'm like no. yeah they'll be like do you want a case of water i'm like why the hell would i buy a case of water i th- come here while i slap you i mean i just don't i megan yeah. and i might be aging myself and oh, i feel God. like i was on the tail end of this but when i was really little mm-hmm. we used to get milk delivered to our house in glass containers we had like a milk delivery guy you're old at af I know. And I'm not even like really <laughs> that, old. Really that old. Yeah. But it was just like, I think it was on the tail end of that thing happening. But that's mm-hmm. that was really normal. Like to have milk delivered to your house. Everybody did it in glass yeah. containers. And when they were empty, you put it out and they pick them up and then they fill them and bring them back. I mean, it's smart. What's so wrong with that? Yeah. Did it, something happen? Like somebody got sick or the glass broke? I, I just... People just stealing them off your porch, maybe. Maybe it was just like milk theft everywhere. Yeah, why did that stop? We should find out why. Somebody bring it back. I agree. Um, Well, I don't know about in Guam because it's... I think they still do it in some places, honestly. I think it came back and probably we're just because where we're at, we don't know, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one thing that uh, I hadn't thought about that to reduce like your plastic use... Mm Um, is buying your milk in cartons. So you know how there's like an... Usually milk producers have like an option. Oh, yeah. Carton you can, or the You big, can buy a carton yeah, or, or the gallon. Or the gallon plastic mm-hmm. jug. And and it's like I always have reached for the gallon plastic jug because that's, you know, you use, use a lot of milk. And which... 
I mean, milk is the... Anyway. Milk is your lifeblood. That's like a whole nother thing of like, I should stop drinking milk. I mean, we're not designed to drink milk forever, but still, I mean, I, I'm sorry, you guys. I love it. I don't drink gonna, milk. No ever. one judge me. Okay. But yeah, that's buying it in cartons. So yeah. I, I made that change recently. That's good. Yeah. It's little things. I, I think that's my point is there's all these like little things we can do. And then collectively, when it all happens, then there's a difference. Yeah. Right. Okay. A penguin size. Penguin size egg carton. Yep. And a self-heating drone. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's all you need. Yeah. It's all you need in this world. That was, that was a great story. A little addition to your previous story. Yeah. There is another. I was like, should I do another one to cover the Norwegian side of it? That would right? be pretty interesting. But they just like, they just got there in four hours. But there's no survival. They're like, they just killed it. They were just like, Bam. They got there five weeks earlier. They, they were just, just like, rode in on all their reindeer. Right? Yeah. That's how they did it. And they just got there, put their flag, boom. They had a Norwegian emergency preparedness kit. <laughs> For sure. You just need a Norwegian. Really? That's all you need. Survival. Well, there we go. Tip 101. Done and done. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, great story, Jen. Oh, thanks. Um, I do want to take the time now to remind our listeners to subscribe, rate, and review. Oh, yeah. Please do that. Hey. I would love that. I would like to say that we have gotten some awesome reviews. Yes. But I don't I don't have any addresses for people. Listen, I want Amelia's sticker. So I'm dying to do it. Jen's sitting here with stamps and envelopes. I'm ready. Let's Just do it. email us or you can send it on Instagram or whatever you want to do. You can email us at you're going to die out there at gmail.com. Just send me your address. Oh, and we do have a couple emails we need to write back to you. Oh, yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. I was supposed to do it this weekend and things were kind of busy. Get I'm it really together. Sorry. But I'm going to write back. <laughs> Thank you for the messages, the emails, the story ideas. We yeah, all it. the shares. We love it. We love it so much. <laughs> Thank you. But remember, if you want to here are the other stories the bonus episodes if you're on instagram you can go to our in our bio link to tree. the link tree and mm-hmm. you can go straight to it or you can go to our website at you're gonna die out there.com that's your like y-o-u-r-e gonna die out there.com <laughs> and you can become a patron it's so simple yes. thank you so much jen and until next time don't die out there bye bye British, British. What's called the British? I got up really early this morning. <laughs> that was like the Swedish chef or something. <laughs> <laughs> so In I don't remember mentoring. <laughs> What's going on? Mentoring, <laughs> <laughs> mentoring. I can't even. Man, I thought I was like tired. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> really bad (laughs) it's like haywire (sighs) yeah i usually we usually don't record when i get up at four in the morning (laughs) because it's like the end of the day it's really bad it's just gonna get worse it's gonna be great just telling you (laughs) rookily 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 megan today is hard ashes ashaden ashes he died before he could complete. Wait, you got to say it again because I was laughing over <laughs> Dr. Acid. Doctor, Ass- let's just go with the Dr. A. Dr. A. Shitten. <laughs> <laughs>